one of the difficult things about not pastoring all the time anymore is is I'm studying stuff, but as you've noticed with Roger, he goes through books of the Bible, most of the time anyway. It makes it really nice so you can just kind of keep following along. So this week when I got home, I had no idea what I was going to preach on. I was reading a book on backsliding, and that came uh, to me through something uh, my friend John Melvin said in a Sunday school class. And he was talking to me, and he said, you know, when people are get away from church for a while, and we're going to talk about, we're going to assume they're believers, and they, they get away, and how hard it is to pull them back in because th- there's all kinds of reasons why we pull away from the church. And I thought, you know what, I remember this book I we were studying a long time ago by the author Joel Beakey, if any of you have heard of him, but... Uh, I've been reading that book, so I thought, aha, I'm going to do my sermon on backsliding. Well, it isn't going to quite end up that way. Uh, Just because this verse kept hanging on kind of has to do with it, but it has to do with the Christian race. And uh, I mean, no disrespect to this Bible, but I got to have this room. Uh, Put it right down here, along with whose ever water that is. I might take a sip here in a little bit. Um. But if, and if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. I know most of the time we put the verses up on the screen behind me, but because I only have a week to prepare, I, I just don't get it to the people that need those verses. But this led me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Of course, most of you know Paul wrote the, this, these letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. And it starts off like this. This is verse 24. Do, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that does not last, but we do it to get a crown that lasts forever. Therefore, Paul speaking, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached the gospel to others. Now, I threw gospel in there, but that's what he's talking about. After I preached the gospel to others, Paul says, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's saying even, this is, in my opinion, not in everybody's, but probably the greatest apostle of all the apostles, the apostle of apostles. And he says, I had to work. I had to to do things while I was walking on the face of this earth to make sure I wouldn't be disqualified for the prize. Let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, all of you know that in those times, they did Grecian games. They did kind of Olympics. So everybody was familiar with this term, running races. They did all that just like they do now. They loved their sports. And I know I've talked, been a pastor long enough. I know some people think, 
well, it's ridiculous that we follow sports so close. And I, I, I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in that. I know I still like Chiefs football. I think I always will. I remember when the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl the first time. Uh, well, I don't remember back in 1970. Sorry, Dad. My dad probably does, but I don't remember that one. I'm talking about the one back in 2019. Some guy raises a sign, and you remember, he says, I've waited my whole life for this. And uh, my daughter was at the game. She says, Dad, I've waited my whole life for this. And I said, I've waited my whole life for this. And, and my dad was like, I thought I'd never see this again in my lifetime. <laughs> but whether you like sports or not, these people knew about sports. And they're talking about running a race and how there's rules and there's things that t- can disqualify us. First thing I want us to see is we as Christians aren't running a race that's to get serious here that's just for a trophy. I remember the first time I was running track and I got a little medal, but I think it was maybe in conference. I don't even know if they still do conference, but I got this little medal. Maybe maybe it was district because it had the state emblem on it. I remember I always wanted one of those and and I got one, and I thought, oh, man, finally I got this medal. And you know what? As soon as I graduated, I lost all my medals. I don't know where any of them are at. I'm telling you, run so hard for these things. And you know what? They're all going to disappear. But the race that we run in Christ, the prize that we're running to win, and the crowns, that we're running to receive, and that's a real thing. You can look in Scripture. They last forever and ever. So there's nothing wrong with any of you wanting to run to win a prize here. I'm not saying that. But we just need to make sure we know what's more important. The team I root for, them winning whatever I want them to win is not more important than this. Your sons and daughters and us at the time when we were running, whatever crowns or whatever medals we received or whatever they give out now in different sports, that's just not, that's all going to be burned up and it's all going to go away. So what we're talking about here is a race that's run for a prize that lasts forever. So let's first understand this prize is of infinite importance, unlike the prizes we run for here on earth. I remember when I ran track, I loved track. I did. And I'm looking over here because I know you guys are already running. I told you I got on Facebook, so I know what some of you are doing. I don't answer. I don't know how to, I get stuff from you and I don't know. I ask, how do you do do this? I I don't even, and then you get things I don't know how many of you are on that, but I just started and things pop up. I'm like, how in the world that pop up? Because, you know, you try to stay halfway within the realm of being a Christian, and it's like, oop, that's not good. You know, you go away. But I know they're already running. Think cross country. We're already playing football here in town. I remember when I ran back when uh, you didn't even have, we had uh, gravel track. We had a gravel track. You guys remember? Uh, some of you, maybe not. Well, that tells you how old I am. Wasn't this nice track you have now? But uh, I remember running, and I loved relays. 
I love running in relays. Um, and we actually had pretty good relay teams. And, uh, but we were always, <laughs> we're always goofing up. I remember one time we're in first place in the finals and the guy, I'm last running, and he stepped on the back of my shoe. He spiked me, my heels literally bleeding. I'm laid out on the track and I see everybody run by and they get the medals. We're in another big meet. This is the one where me and Brenda met. Uh, it was in Nevada. It was called the Nevada or Nevada, yeah, Nevada Relays. And man, they had medals like this big. I mean, I was wanting one of them medals. And we had the team to do it. We went into the finals with the fastest time. And they handed off behind where they announce, like, the football stuff. So, I'm once again, I'm the last guy running. And we go around, and it was uh, Keith Farnsworth. Some of you remember the Farnsworths. Keith was running. I don't know why I was running fast, last, because I think he was faster than me. But they, it, he's running the third leg, and we're in first place by a whole lot. I'm like, we're hating, and I'm waiting, and here comes, like, Clinton, and then here comes Harrisonville, and then here comes, I don't remember all the other teams. And I'm like, where, where's our team? We were in first place. And Keith comes walking out, carrying the baton. Well, they dropped the baton. So we were disqualified. That's the first time Brenda came over and said, oh, I'm so sorry, you were disqualified. That wasn't the last time. That was the first time. And uh, little did she know that touched my heart, and little did she know that (laughs) then we got married, and 40-some years later she's still going, I'm sorry, (laughs) you you did this and you did that. (laughs) But, oh, well, that's a whole other story. But, you know, there's little things in life that disqualify us. But this here Paul's talking about, as I've said, is really, I can't think of anything more important, can you, than our walk with Christ and running the race, a good race. You know, there's other verses that in Galatians 5, 7, it says, you were running a good, good race. Who cut, you, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So evidently we can be in the race and something happened and cut us off. It says here in Galatians that for some reason the people of Galatia, they started, they started not obeying the truth anymore. So it disqualified them. Like Paul said, I want to make sure I'm not disqualified. In Philippians 3.14 it says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 11, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now most of you that know the Bible know in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, Paul. we think Paul's the author of Hebrews. We're not sure, but we're pretty sure. And, and he gives all this list of heroes in the faith. And he says, since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything, in other words, that hinders us in the race. Let us be intentional 
Remember, he said his body, he even strikes a blow to his body. He actually made his body do things that his body didn't want to do because he wanted to remain in the race. Now, those of you that have been athletes of any kind or just in life period, you know, especially an athlete that's in the top of his profession, he does things, he goes by a strict diet usually, he trains hard, he puts his body to, to the test in so many ways, and that's what he's telling us to do. He says, throw off everything that hinders. So I'm telling you this morning as Christians, let's throw off everything that hinders us in the race, whatever it is. And he says this, and the sin that so easily entangles, the sin that so easily entangles us, especially today, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, I said all these to say, whether you've just begun the race, whether you've been in the race for a while, whether you've been in the race for a long time, or whether, especially if you're not in the race, then those of us that are in the race, meaning those of us that are believers now, saved by grace through faith, we pray for you that you might enter into the race. But I'll tell you, this race isn't a sprint. It just isn't a sprint, and I have learned that the hard way. I've actually learned, I don't know about some of you, but if it wasn't for the grace of God, really seriously, I wouldn't be in the, in the race anymore. I found out that it's just, it's like a long-distance marathon, and you have times when it's good, I remember when I got back, I retired from the military and came back, and I remember some of my friends that weren't Christians, now they're Christians. Some of them are here today. I promised I wouldn't mention any names. And uh, I remember they, they just had this zeal to share Christ. And they'd do it. They, they were new Christians. Remember when we were new Christians? And, and, and I'd go out and I'd tell people. I remember going into work and I'd tell them about Christ, and I'd be like, they just, they didn't want to hear it. And I'm like, why in the world don't you want to hear this? This is such good news. Me not remembering there was a time when I didn't want to hear it. But when God changed my heart and, and He gave me a new heart to hear this message of grace and love that Christ is offering us, I, I wanted everybody to know. Now that I've been in the race a long time, Sometimes I use excuses like, God, no one's going to listen anyway. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Or I'm not going to say anything. Sometimes the fire's kind of really dim. But you know what? If you turn back to God, whether you've been in the race a little while or a long time, I know for me, I after I left the, left the church, I was pastor, and I'm just going to, I don't want to give too much of a testimony here. I don't know what was wrong with me. I don't know if I was mad or hurt. I don't know. But all of us as Christians have been there probably at one time. And I just really didn't have a desire to be in an organized church like this. So we built a house. That kept me busy for a while. And then I got back into God's Word. And God's really gracious, isn't He, with us? He's he just so... So patient, anyway, with, with me has been. And 
all of a sudden, he just says, no, you know, that's not right. You know, my word tells you, Preston, that you need to be in a church. And then he says, I want you to get back out and do something for me. And I, I really, I still, all I know is I need to be in a church right now. And I need to be still telling people about Christ and telling them how much he loves us and telling people about the gospel. I don't, I don't have any other, you know, God didn't come down and say, okay, I want you to do this today at this time. And all I know is to be, is to be obedient sometimes. He tells us to do something, but he only gives us directions one day at a time. So when we're running this race, my point is here, whether you've been in it a long time or not, no, it's not one of a sprint. It's a difficult race. And let me tell you something. You need to be disciplined in it. You need to be disciplined in it. You must be disciplined in it. Like Paul said, you must make your body almost a slave to it. Now, we have tons of liberties in Christ. Don't get me wrong. Tons. There's also things we need to be doing, things we don't need to be doing, and things we need to be doing. Now, in these verses, Paul doesn't stop there. He tells us to run this race. And then he, he, he I find it interesting that he, he talks, he says, I want to make sure that I'm not disqualified from the race, even though I've done all this for the Lord. And then listen to what he says in chapter 10, starting with verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the facts, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Corinth. And now remember, Corinth is a mixed church of Greek and Jews. But he says it this way. He's talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. That our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Now, you get where he's going with this. He's talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he he just talked about the race. And he, he goes and he says, Now, you guys remember back when God brought our ancestors through the Red Sea. It was a real thing. It wasn't a metaphorical story. really happened. kills me how unbelievers, they want to say, Well, I think... They went through this little part of the Red Sea, and and it was only this deep. Well, that's just as miraculous. How can thousands of people drown in water that deep? Where we think he he went through the Red Sea, where we're pretty much, it was really deep. And we know all the people that were Pharaoh and all the people after him got killed through that red in the Red Sea. But he's saying, your ancestors were under a cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the spiritual food, remember? The spiritual food that's not just talking about the manna God gave them and drank the same spiritual drink, not just talking about the water he provided, but the spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Now, if you go back and study in the book of Numbers... What's going on here? Because that's where Paul's going back. He's taking them back years. 
And he's saying, hey, guess what? Our ancestors, this, this is how it worked. If you go back to Numbers, they would wake up in the morning and they'd look. And if there was a cloud over the tent, the holy tent of meeting, then they were to stay. If the cloud lifted, then they were to move and follow the cloud. And by night, it says, by day there was a cloud, by night there was fire over the temple. So they knew that was a symbol of God's presence with them. And if you unpack this rightly and study it hard enough, which I did this week, that symbolized Christ being with them, the cloud. That's why it says, it says, nevertheless, the rock, even though God really gave them water from a rock, it was more than that. It was meant to be more than that. The cloud and the fire, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire were meant to symbolize Christ with them. And there's no doubt, if you unpack this enough and study it hard enough, Christ was with them. He was with them. So they went through all these things and Christ was with them. And all of a sudden... In verse 5, Paul says, nevertheless, now think about this. Let's put ourselves in their place. They see the presence of God right there with them. They saw God open up the sea. This is no little thing. He opened up the sea, dried the land, and they walked across. Most of you have seen the Ten Commandments. They do a pretty good job with that. They walked across on dry land. Then as soon as they were across, what happens? Here, Pharaoh, there was, this, there was this big ball of fire that held Pharaoh back, and all of a sudden the, the ball of fire goes. Now, have you ever thought about how stupid that was of Pharaoh? You know, Pharaoh seeing all this, he's like, I'm still going to go after him and get him, and I'm going to kill him. But you know, if you look in the book of Revelation, that's what's going to happen at the end time. You know, the people around us that are unbelievers, they're going to know who's coming, they're going to, and they're going to say, you know what, Lord? You may come back, but I'm going to fight against you. Now, how silly is that? Well, we'd be in there if it wasn't for the grace of God. He says, but God was not pleased with most of them. And he's going to give us some examples of why. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then he says this in verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So we're in the New Testament and Paul says, I'm going to give you some examples of what our ancestors did. And because they did that, you need to understand that they never entered into God's rest. They never went to heaven. They did not go to heaven. Yet they saw all this stuff. Let, let me just point this out. Every single one of them would have told you there was a God. Every single one of them would have told you that they believed in a God creator. So these people weren't ignorant of the fact that there was a God. But yet, there, nevertheless... It says they were scattered their bodies in the wilderness. And if you go on and read the book of Hebrews, and I'm not going to do that, and you can read it if you don't believe me, it says in there that they never entered God's rest, meaning they never went to heaven. 
even though they saw all these miraculous things. He goes on after verse 6, and he gives us these examples. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. Now, I'm going to go back to numbers. I'm going to go through these fairly quick. We're going to see one example in chapter 11 of the book of Numbers. First of all, now the people complained about their hardships in hearing of the Lord. In other words, the the Lord heard them complaining. This is the first part of chapter 11. And God, he takes this fire, brings it down, consumes a bunch of stuff around them. Didn't do anything to them. Now, now what I want us to hear here, this, this puts the... I love my Lord, but I have a fear for God, a healthy fear. And this message this morning should put the fear of God in all of us. And, and you say, well, you have to explain that. I don't have time to unpack all that. All I'm telling you is the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So you, if you're a believer, you have a healthy fear of the Lord. And it says these people complained, the Lord heard about it, and he did that. Then, right after that, in verse 4, they start, it's actually a group comes to Moses and they start complaining. They begin to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. Now this word, loudly they were saying, if only we had meat to eat. Because most of you remember, what were they eating? Manna. That's all they had. Quite nourishing, actually. It goes on in chapter 11 and tells us how they cooked it and they made it into rosin cakes and it tastes like something made with olive oil. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is God, (laughs) He's providing them with everything they need and they say, I want meat, I want meat, I want meat. (laughs) Some of you are already laughing because you know some of the story. And as Paul Harvey used to say, if any of you remember, most, most of you remember Paul Harvey. This is the rest of the story. The story is, first of all, you have to remember, Moses was the most humble man alive. That's what Scripture tells us. Moses goes to the Lord and he says, I'm paraphrasing some of this, but he goes, why did you give me these people? See, I... I I find that interesting. God's word says he's the most humble person there was. Doesn't mean he was weak, but he was humble. And he complains. He complains for quite a while about the people. He says says things like, did I conceive all these people? Why do you make me carry them around like little babies? He said, how am I supposed to provide food for hundreds of thousands of people? And then God tells Moses, he said something like, do you think my arm's that short? I'm paraphrasing this, but that's what he says, that I can't do this. So he tells Moses to tell the people that not only are they going to have food for one day, not two days, not a week, but a month. I'm going to give you enough food, meat for a month. And if any of you know the rest of the story, what happened was God took this big wind 
and it was from the Lord, and it drove quail from the sea into the land. So much quail that as far as you could see, there was quail, and it was three feet deep. It said everybody picked up at least 60, was it 60 or 60? Yeah, 60 bushels of quail. Every single person, at least that much. That's a lot of quail. And so God says, he says, I'm not even going to give you so much quail. You're going to have so much meat. It's going to be, this is what it said in 11. You can read it. I'm going to give you so much it's going to run out of your nostrils. And the people that were complaining the most, guess what? They got the quail. They started eating it. God's anger came upon them. And a whole bunch of them died. First example. Second example we find, let me go back, is in verse 7. So that's one of the evils. As they were complaining, they wanted food. God provided them with food. But see, their problem was this. Let me ask you something. Was there anything wrong necessarily with them wanting meat? Not really. They even said they wanted garlic and leeks and all this other kind of stuff. That's not the point here. The point here is this. These verses tell us about these evil things that they lusted after because it was outside of God's will. The point is they desired that which was outside of God's will for them at that time. When they were in Egypt, it was okay for them to eat all those things. But what, what wasn't good was when God was taking care of them, it wasn't good for them to look back and go, I want to go back there. Now, if you see the analogy in our lives today, you do understand Egypt is, is a representation of the world, the sinful world that God has brought each and every one of us out of in Christ. And when we start looking back to that old way and desiring the old things that we desired in the sin nature, that doesn't please God. Just as these people look back to when they were in Egypt and said, I want this, I want that, that wasn't in God's will for them. He said, I don't, you're not going to have that right now. I'm providing for you. I'm giving you manna. I'm giving you water to drink. And in verses 1 through 5, it talks about all the liberties they had, just like we have now in Christ. I mean, we, if seriously, when you pray, God promises through the power of the Holy Spirit that He will lead, guide, and direct you day by day, and He'll provide for us. And He does, does He not? Even though eggs are $15 a dozen right now, I can still go out. Yeah, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, not much maybe, but... Still, I can go out and buy a dozen eggs. Praise God. We have to remember this, like the Israelites were taught it, that wherever you're at, be satisfied there. And, and, and if God wants something more, allow him to lead, guide, and direct you to wherever it is. Now, example number, number two is in verse 7, and it's a pretty easy one. It says, and this is another example, do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink 
and got up and indulged in revelry. Now, that's going back to a place. I'm not even going to go back to, to it because most of you know the story. But the, the nation of Israel, always they always had a problem with this, going back to their idols. Remember, even after they came out of Egypt, what's one of the first things they did? They built this golden calf and they started worshiping it. And that's what this is talking about. And obviously, it didn't please God. And you say, well, we're smart enough we don't do that today. Idolatry is the worship of anything other than the one true God. The creator and sustainer of all things visible and invisible. Anything in our life that we put in front of God is an idol. Now here's where I thank God for His grace. You know, we just sang a song that just makes me cry every time. I'm prone to leave the God I love. I can stand before you today and say I love my Savior and my God more than anything in the world, but yet I can go out next week and not live that way. So idolatry even today is something. See, Paul's telling us, watch yourself, be careful. Young people, if you're believers, be careful. Watch yourself day by day. And as soon as you think you're running well, you guys have seen in races people running and they're so far ahead they're doing good and all of a sudden they step out of the lane or they drop something or they trip. And all of a sudden, they're disqualified. You always, I I think the best thing for us every morning is to wake up and say, God, help me stay in the race. Help me do exactly what you want me to do. Verse 8, another example. He says, and this is another example that Paul gives us, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did in one day 23,000 of them died. I find example number three to be one that we should really pay attention to today because we live in a day, and I'm, I'm sorry I even have to go here, in absolute, unbelievable sexual perversion. It's all over, all the time. I see it in, in, in commercials. I see it in, in, in talk radio. I see it when people are just talking all the time. And God takes this very serious. We've already talked about the different types of love and how there's a certain type of love that God made to be beautiful between a husband and a wife. But that's the only place it's to be lived out. But we live it out in our society today in all kinds of perverse ways. And God takes it serious enough that back in chapter 25 of Numbers, this is what it says. While Israel was staying in this town, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. Now, let's stop there for a second. Here's what the Israelite men 
are invited by the Moabite women, and they're going over there. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here and a lot to study, but they had this temple, and they had over a 1,000 prostitutes, and what was happening was these men were going into these prostitutes, and Moses said to Israel, it, it gets bad enough. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. Now, this is serious stuff, and I know this is stuff a lot of us don't, you don't like hearing about, but God's serious about this sin problem we have. Now, why I'm bringing this up is you could say, well, Preston, we're saved by grace through faith. I get that. But in the liberty of that as Christians, it still does not give us a license to continue and to continue to live in a sin that we know doesn't please God. And you say, well, what about we still sin every day? Absolutely, folks. I get that. Our life in this race is one of continual asking God for forgiveness and repenting of a sin. Asking God for forgiveness and repenting of sin. But it's not... One of saying, I'm a Christian, and now I have a license to do anything I want to do. Because I'm covered, all my sins are covered by the blood of Christ. Paul says, heaven, no, that isn't right. That's not the way to look at it. And right here, Paul's given us an example. He said, this happens, and guess what? The Lord told these people to go out and kill the leaders... And I know this isn't something, I've had people walk out on on Old Testament stuff because they say, that's not the God I serve. This is the God I serve. This is the very God I serve. And this is why I treasure grace so much because let me tell you, in every example I gave you, I could have been the one smitten. And I'm just not because of the grace of God. But that doesn't mean I have a license now to do whatever I want. It even goes so far, Moses said to the judges, he said, each of you go out and put to death these men. So when I say Moses was a humble man, he wasn't a weak man. He had to make some calls that God God told him to do that I thank God I've never had to do. I wouldn't want to be in a position, would you, where I said, okay, you, you, and you, and you. You need to go out and kill these ten men because they've sinned against the Lord. We live in a different dispensation. I get that. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with us, but he's going to. He says in the end he's going to. Do you guys know how all this ends? We win. Christ wins. We are on the winning side. As bad as things get, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings will come back and it says he'll have his robe is dipped in the blood of the people that he says... I'm going to take out the wrath. You guys keep rejecting me. You world, you keep rejecting me. United States, you keep rejecting me. You know what? I'm not a respecter of men. You turn your back on me and I'm coming back. And I'm so glad. The wrath that I deserve has fallen on Christ. And I'm not going to be one of those that he takes his wrath out upon. It goes on this verse and it says, it even says Aaron's grandson, one Israelite had the nerve to march in front of Moses. Now get the picture. This is in the chapter 25. You can read it. And they're on their knees. I'm not going to get on mine because I'm afraid I can't get up. But they were on their knees 
at the tent and they were crying, asking God, please forgive us for our sins here. And one man had the gall to bring one of those Moabite women into his tent. And Aaron's grandson, we all know who Aaron is, the priest at the time, his grandson takes a spear while these two are in the tent. Yeah, this is real stuff. And he throws the spear through both of them. You know what God says to that? He says about this thing, he says, I like that you did that because his zeal was for the honor of his God and made atonement for the sin of the Israelites. God's anger went out through the nation of Israel. These are his people, the ones he loved. And a plague was sent out and 24,000 People were killed that day because of that sin. So don't tell me sexual immorality isn't still a sin. And love is love. It just isn't. We need to look to the Word for that. Example number four is found in verse number nine. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Let's go there. This one's a beauty. I think most of you know, if you're not familiar with this one, it's worth looking up. Once again, the Israelites, this is in Numbers 21. They were traveling through the country on a route to the Red Sea to go to Edom. But the people, once again, grew impatient on their way. They spoke. Now, here's the important thing. It's one thing to speak badly about your leaders in the Lord. It's quite another to speak badly about the Lord. And they spoke against God and against Moses and said, this is what the people said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. First of all, that's an exaggeration. They had stuff to eat. They had stuff to drink. And I don't know what the stuff tasted like, but they're complaining. Once again, the Lord gets mad at them. You know what he does? You guys familiar with it? Sends out a bunch of snakes. Now, how would you like to be around there? I don't like snakes. I don't like them at all. I'm like, no, not me. And these snakes started. This is true stuff. These snakes started biting them. And they go to the Lord as I would too. I'm not making fun of the nation of Israel because it wasn't for the grace of God. I'm sure I would have been right there. And they go to they go to Moses and said, "Please pray for us because we've sinned before the Lord." Now this is a great picture. You know what happens next? God tells Moses, says, "Take this snake, put it on a pole, raise it up high, and when they bite and they get bit." Have them look at the snake, and when they look at the snake, they won't die. You guys see the picture there? We got a cross right here. We lift up that cross. We look at it. It's a symbol of Christ. The last example he gives us, which is one that, uh, uh, another, once again, they're grumbling. It's in, found in verse 10. And do not grumble as some of them did. And were killed 
by the destroying angel. So we got to go to Numbers. I'm not doing this. It, Paul doesn't do this in any kind of chronological order. We go to Numbers chapter 16. And actually, if you begin chapter 16, it's, it's, it, I couldn't quit reading this because some of this I didn't know. What happens in the beginning of chapter 16 and the, is there, there's these leaders, these leaders, and they're from the Levite tribe. And you guys remember the Levites are the priests. And they were given duties. And these, these three leaders and 250 other leaders come to Moses and Aaron. And they're pretty much saying, I want your job. That's what they're doing. They're coming and saying, you know what? God may have put you there, but I, 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 don't, I don't like you being there. We should be there. Well, the problem is God takes this personal. And Moses said, it is against the Lord that you and all your followers have band together. And, and, and they says something. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Do you guys, if you study this, know how much Moses and Aaron did for these people over and over and over and over and over again? And you know what happens here? Now, this, this is amazing. I'm telling you what, this ought to put the fear of God because God can do this. Those three leaders and the 250 people, they come out and Moses said, he said, I'm going to tell all of you this. If I'm the man God wants, this is going to happen. If they're the men God wants, this is going to happen. And Moses said, what's going to happen here is for those that are not called to do all the things God called Moses and Aaron to do. They're going to be swallowed up. And I'll, I'll tell you, this one really gets me. What happened is these three men come out and they bring out their families. They bring out their little ones. That's what the Bible says, out in front of their tent. And Moses says to everyone, get away from them. And he says, okay, God, show them who's... Now, I'm paraphrasing this because I, I can't read all 80 verses. He says, show them who you've called. And the ground literally opened up and swallowed alive not only those three men, but their family and everything that belonged to them and shut up and they went to their grave alive. That's what the Word says. And then the 250 men, God sent down a fire and killed all 250. Now, wouldn't you think that would have got their attention? You would think so, but in verse 41, the very next day, an assembly committee grumbled against Moses and Aaron again, saying, you have killed the Lord's people. Golly, they're just not learning here, are they? It's in verse 41, but they assembled together and they, they, they do all these things and... and once again, Moses and Aaron get before the tent of meeting. And God says, he says to Moses, the Lord says to Moses, get away from me because I'm going to do away with all this, this assembly. All of them, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses says, no, golly, what great leaders they had. Moses said, no. Aaron goes and he grabs some incense off the altar and makes a sacrifice 
and the plague quits. But before the plague quits, God had killed 14,700 of them. These are the example Paul gives us because in verse 11 he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. The only reason why I bring this up, and I know this isn't one of those messages that tickle anyone's ears for me. Reading these, I kept reading it over and over. And I'm telling you, the fear of the Lord comes in my heart. And what Paul's saying is, make sure you don't disqualify yourself from the race. Because this could happen. These people knew their God. But yet they they grumbled against Him and they turned against Him and they didn't do what the Lord told them to do and they fell into sexual immorality and all these other things. And he says, let this be an example to us so that we won't do those kind of things. I end with this. this. In Ephesians, it tells us this. As for you, meaning as for you and me, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. Notice here, used to live. Because today we have so many. We, we have... We have churches all over the place. Well, then then why do we still have the problems we have? I'm telling you because they don't believe this stuff. They believe, it, it, they may believe in a God, they may believe in a creator, they may even claim to believe in Jesus, but I've heard this over and over. They say either things like, I don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible, and there isn't any other Jesus to believe in, or they say things like, hey, Christ will forgive me for this. I'm still going to live in my trespasses and my sins. But notice here, Paul in this book of Ephesians says, no, not a Christian. That's the way you used to live. Not that we're not going to sin, but you don't purposely just continue to live continually in these these sins and these trespasses. He says, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world. Are we supposed to follow the ways of the world? Quit worrying so much about the world. It's in trouble. But Christ has overcome the world. Praise God. And we don't follow the ways of the world. That's why when we see things going on and the way they, they've went downhill in just a few years, we see things like even gender identity. I never in my life thought we'd even be talking about what a man and a woman, I mean, it's obvious what they are. And your kids aren't cats. I mean, people that are sitting on school boards that say you can come in and have a kitty box and let your... That is just, that's, uh, that's beyond... Uh, Lord, I don't... I can't even use the word probably here, right? It's just beyond me. But the reason why we, we need to scream that out so loud is the fact that it goes against God our Creator. We need to be zealous once again for His honor and for His glory. And let me tell you something. My God created me short and stout, and that's the way He wanted me. There was no mistakes. 
I'm the way I am because that's the way I am. Because it says he knitted me in my mother's womb. From the moment I was conceived, God knew who I was and knitted me. And when I came out, I was a male and I'll always be a male. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. So it says here, all of us, you know, at one time it says in Ephesians, we live to gratify the cravings of our sin nature and followed its desires and hearts like the rest. We once were by nature's object of wrath, objects of God's wrath. But here's the good news. I wanted to end on good news. But because of his great love for each and every one of us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up. Look what we have looked forward to. No matter what you... And and you're saying, okay, this race is hard, Preston. You're telling me this race is hard. Yes, I am. I'm 63 years old and I've been saved for quite a while. And I'm telling you, you, you need to do things to discipline yourself to stay in the race. And it's hard. But guess what? We have a promise that in the end will be raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus our Lord in order that in the coming ages everything might see the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in His kindness to me and you in Jesus Christ. That's good. Thank you, Lord. For it's by grace you saved me through faith. It is not of anything I've done. It's an absolute gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ to do good works. See, we're created to do good works, not to keep doing those old things, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, and let's close in a word of prayer. We thank you so much, God, for the truth of your gospel. We thank you for the courage of Paul to show us that, hey, even though you say you're a believer, you need to to run this race. You need to be careful. You need to keep yourself disciplined. But as we look at those examples, we are so, so... See, Lord, it makes us rejoice in the fact that while we were still in our transgressions and didn't want to know You and didn't love You, You reached out and You changed our hearts. And by grace, through faith, You saved us, Lord. And thank You so much. And I ask... Lord, for me especially and for those here that even though we're prone to leave the God we love, we know that in Your grace You keep us on the path. And we know You love us and thank You so much for loving us when we stumble and when we fall. We ask for You to forgive our sins to reinvigorate us, to have zeal for your honor and for your glory in all things. 
God's people said, Amen.